0: Well, hey, we are in a series, so if you are uh, here for maybe for the first time, we're in a series uh, called The Church Jesus is Building. You know, Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Kind of leaves you asking, so when and how and what would that look like? Uh, The good news is we actually have the answer of what that looks like in scripture, because the... Every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, basically end the same way. Jesus was crucified, he was raised from the dead, and he tells his disciples to go change the world. And we think that's the end of that story. It's actually not. Jesus doesn't immediately go to heaven. We have to go to the book of Acts. And when we get to the book of Acts, we discover Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection on the earth continuing to teach his closest disciples. And then he told them, don't go anywhere just yet. Wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise from the Father, so that you have power to be my witnesses to all the world. And then he ascends to heaven. Then we see the birth of what we call the New Testament church. And throughout the stories that we read in the book of Acts, we can actually see what Jesus had in mind for how his people would be his church on the earth. And so that's all this series really is. We're going straight through the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And we're trying to get back to the basic ideas of what it would be like to represent Jesus on the earth, to be the church that he is building. And the reason that we use that title with that verb tense is because we believe very, very strongly Jesus has not stopped building his church, that we are as much a part of that today. We don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if there's one more year or another thousand years, but we are a part of Jesus building his church still today. So I grew up, and I've told you this already in the series, I grew up in a church tradition that thought a little bit differently about the book of Acts than what I am preaching in this series. I grew up in a church that believed that the power of the Holy Spirit operating through believers and doing miracles today through believers, uh, that that work had ceased. And I remember when I came across the book of Acts in high school and had started reading it and I asked my pastor, uh, what about this stuff today? His answer was, God doesn't move like that anymore. Now, I've already told you that, but here's what happened in my life is then I went off to college and I found a different kind of church. And I didn't realize it, just start going to a church that had a lot of music majors. I was a music major, so I wanted to hang out with my friends, and I wanted to go where the worship was good and in tune. And so I ended up at a church, hey, you don't always get that, so anyway, so I went, ended up at a church where they believed the book of Acts was relevant for today, it was a model for how to live, they believed the Holy Spirit was inside of every single one of us with the same power to move miraculously because Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have done. And so that church changed my life. I ended up going on a mission trip with them and and started to see these things actually play out. I remember the very first miracle I ever saw that I was ever even close to being a part of. I was in another country, we were on a mission trip, and we were doing a crusade in a stadium talking about the power of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus. If you want to lead people to Jesus, one thing you can do is show them Jesus is actually alive and on his throne. And so we would always pray for healing. People would come down out of the stands. And so I remember this couple brought their six-year-old daughter to us. And she had never heard a sound in her life. She had been deaf since birth. And they asked us if we could pray for her to hear. Now, you got to understand, I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to Bible college. I don't know anything except I've read the book of Acts. And my pastor says, go. And so here we are, a bunch of college kids laying hands on this little girl. The parents don't understand a word we're saying because they're from another country. They speak another language. Nobody understands what's going on. And, and we put our hands on her and ask in Jesus' name for God to open her ears. And as I'm praying for her, I suddenly start to see her eyes get really big. And she grabs her ears and tears start coming out of her eyes. And that'll mess you up. You'll preach the book of Acts differently for the rest of your life. And so when we do something like that, this is not the first time I've preached on the Holy Spirit or hearing God's voice or the book of Acts or something like that, or maybe you do a Bible study in one of your life groups, and what happens every single time is people get excited. See, y'all just clapped for that story, didn't you? People get excited and they say, I can't wait, Pastor, I can't wait. But most often, when the series is over or you end your Bible study, well, life just kind of goes back to being life because we go back to being busy, we're consumed with work and school and schedules, and before you know it, we begin to think, maybe Acts really is just history. And if we're honest, we're disappointed, but we wanna be good Christians, so we don't tell people that, and we just keep going to church and smiling and wishing there were more to the Christian life. So, today in our series, we come to an event in the book of Acts that I think may answer that whole dilemma and help us figure out how to not let life go back to normal when this is over. You guys ready for this one? If you've got your Bibles, it's great to follow along because we are just going straight through the book of Acts. Don't worry, it'll be on the screen right here. And so we have reached chapter 3 today, everybody, the very beginning of chapter 3. And we're at the point, it says, Now Peter and John, two of the apostles, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and i just want to remind you last week we learned how the church began to function and do what we call church life what did it look like to be a part of the church and they were devoted to five practices this is one of the five we see them still doing this every day going to the temple in order to worship god and share jesus and they were going daily to worship god and share jesus let's keep going though A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So Peter and John, about to go into the temple, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Since we just saw that word twice, if you're new to church, the word alms is simply a specific word for an offering for the poor. It was expected of the people of God to not only bring their offerings for God, their tithes and all the other offerings they had, they were expected to carry an offering for those who were less fortunate. It was a standard part of their life to have something in their pocket for those who were poor. Alms. So Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Come on. Isn't that exciting? Look, I'm sure we'd all love to command somebody to be healed and to actually see it happen right in front of our eyes. Y'all with me? So I could just say, there you go. Shortest sermon ever. Go, go find somebody. Hospital's got a lot of them. Go and just pray. Pray for a sick person and see what happens. But I think there is more to the story if we look at it at a deeper level that will really help us actually begin to live that way. Let me explain what I mean by this. We are the church that Jesus is building today. We are his people on the earth. We are Christians. But I think maybe what that name means or its origin and understanding of it has been lost on us today. You see, it actually started out around the word Christ. The Christ was the Messiah. The Christ was the one who was coming to redeem the people of God. And the people had been looking for centuries and even thousands of years for that Christ to come. And so the Ian Edit simply means someone who is identified with. Maybe you've heard other words like this. The Philippians, they were identifying as the people who lived in the city of Philippi. The Galatians, they were identifying as the people in the region of Galatia. So Christians, Christians, were the people who identified with the Christ. Those were the people who actually went around saying, we found the Christ, we found the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And what you need to know about that name is, it's not a name they gave themselves. It was a name that outsiders gave to them, and it was actually meant more derogatory than anything else. Oh, look at those people. Yep, those are the little Christians. Those are the ones who actually think Jesus is alive. Those are the ones who think the Messiah that got nailed to a tree and is buried, that he's actually the Christ and he's here. But look at those people. Now, what's my point? Thanks for asking. For 2,000 years, the world has been putting labels and expectations on the followers of Jesus. For 2,000 years, the world has been putting labels and expectations on those who follow Jesus. Did you notice in the story, said Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them. Why? Expecting to receive something. For 2,000 years, the world has been putting labels and expectations on those who follow Jesus. And the truth is, the hurting and the needy of this broken world are expecting something from us. The problem is that they are most often expecting the wrong thing. One of the first things that the world expects from you and me is that we would be perfect people. Because Jesus was perfect and God is perfect. And if we are going to associate and identify with them as a Christian, then we should be perfect like the Christ was. Unfortunately, you know you're not perfect. Sorry to tell you that. We're not perfect. And so even though Jesus is, well, we're still working on it. The problem, though, is since we don't meet that expectation quickly, judgment and criticism starts to come towards us for the kind of people we are. Sometimes they have another expectation. They expect us to represent God on the earth. The problem is they expect us to represent God as they believe him to be. They expect us to represent God as they have decided he is, not necessarily as he says he is. What that means is that they often want us to represent a kind and loving God who does not believe in an absolute truth. The problem is we can't meet that expectation because Jesus came in both grace and truth. Yes, we need to bring grace, but we actually have to believe there is a right and a wrong because Jesus believes there's right and wrong and our God believes there's right and wrong and actually defines it which ends up with another one. They expect us to affirm their choice or their morality and never call anything sin, but we can't do that either because Jesus encountered an adulterous woman and when he met her, he forgave her, but then said, go and sin no more because sin is a reality and my father defines what it is. Most often the world around us expects charity or benevolence. You know, we get phone calls all day long. I I know you probably as a Christian, you get people on occasion to ask you for things. But here as a, a church with a phone number and a website, we get emails and phone calls all day long. We literally have someone whose job is just to process and filter this and talk to all of these people. Because it is a belief in the world that those who need help get it from the church. Even if they're not part of the church, they just believe that that is something about who we are. Did you see it in the story? A man lame from birth, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. Why? To ask alms and offering for the poor of those entering the temple. Did you get that? They didn't lay him in the marketplace. They didn't lay him in front of the butcher shop. They didn't lay him anywhere else. They laid him where the people of God were, expecting the people of God to solve their material problems. You know what the problem with that is? Alms would have sustained him in his problem, but it wouldn't have solved his problem he would have still been lame, unable to walk. And often that's still the problem we have today. One of the deepest struggles we have as a church is how to correctly be generous to a needy world and show them the love of God without solving the wrong problem or enabling the wrong problem in their lives. Here's the truth. The hurting and the needy of this broken world are expecting something from us. And unfortunately, we cannot always give them what they expect. And this is where I think it starts to go wrong for us. Because we can't give them what they expect. Often we don't give them anything at all. And so this is where I believe we start to return to our normal lives. And follow me, I'm going to explain it. Because of the judgment and criticism that we receive from the world, because of the unfair expectations and labels that we want to reject that we receive from the world, because of the sinfulness we see in the world, we huddle up by ourselves and focus on worship. A problem. Is that if you read the book of Acts, almost every miracle in the book of Acts was focused on demonstrating the power of God to the lost. Not just blessing the believers. I'm not saying God doesn't love us and doesn't do things in our lives and we've all got answers to prayer, right? I mean, we've all got those stories. But overwhelmingly, the kind of stuff we want to do when we read the book of Acts, I want to go do that out there. Exactly. It always takes place out there to bring glory to the name of Jesus and to reach the lost. And so that brings us to our real point for today. We've got a question we have to wrestle with. We actually have to sit down and take time to answer. Are we giving the hurting and the needy of this world what we can and should give? Are we giving the hurting and the needy of this world what we can and should give? And before we can do that, I'm just going to throw out a disclaimer, so to speak. It starts with seeing them. If we don't see the hurting and the needy of the world, we'll never give them what they need. Again, in the story, a man lame from birth whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, daily at the gate of the temple. For decades, he was at the gate of the temple daily. Peter and John and the apostles, we've already found out, earlier in the series, we're going daily. This was a regular practice for them. That means chances are really, really good they have walked past this man before. They have seen him. They've heard him ask for alms. Chances are actually very good this man was at the temple when Jesus came with the disciples at some point. But something was different this day. They had seen him every day. They had asked, he had asked every day. Every day they had kept walking. This day, they saw him, and something changed. Said, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. You see, if we truly see them, then we're going to face a tough choice. Do we respond and give, or do we look away? The truth is, it is so much easier to look away, isn't it? When you see so much that's wrong in the world, and the way that we are criticized or judged or blamed or had labels put on us that we don't think we deserved, it's really easy to just feel kind of self-righteous and just look away and say, you know what, your own choices got you there. But we can't change a world we don't see. So it will start with seeing them. And if we see them, then we have to respond. Now, Peter gave us the best example, in my opinion, of how to respond. Did you catch what he did? Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Sorry, man, I know that's what you want. I don't have it. But what I do have, that I'm going to give you what I do have. I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Here's the point. We can't meet every expectation they have, but what we do have, we give what we do have, we give. And I believe so many of us are afraid to respond. We're afraid to see and actually stop because we don't think that we have anything to give. And here's the reality, you have so much more to give than you are aware of, in my opinion. So I I felt like it's my job to come and remind you of what all you have to give to this broken and needy world today. The first thing you have is your testimony. You know, so many people don't talk to Jesus because they believe they don't have all the answers. Guess what? You don't have all the answers and Peter didn't have silver and gold. But you do have your story. You have your testimony. And remember, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. If you were here for part one, witness is someone who will testify about Jesus. Someone who will give their testimony of who he is and what he's done. Here's the beauty of this. You don't have to know all the answers because nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. Nobody can say Jesus didn't do that in your life. Nobody gets to say that because you get to say, yes, he did. It's my life. I can tell you what Jesus has done for me. We have our testimony. Second thing we have is Holy Spirit power. If you really want to start seeing like stories like this in your life, you've got to actually believe what Jesus said. Wait for the promise of the Father for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And he's been doing it every since that day. I want you to think about it just for a minute. What if that wasn't what God did? What if history was completely different? What if the Holy Spirit living inside believers was never even a a part of the picture what if jesus didn't say wait for power to come upon you to be my witnesses what if what if none of that happened and what if peter and john walked up to this guy and said oh man oh man i feel so sorry for you you know hey we used to hang out with jesus and if jesus that's all you jesus could help you but right now i got nothing man it sucks to be you but that's not how god intended for his christians to operate for the next several thousand years he put his spirit in us to do even greater things than Jesus did so that we could do what Peter and John did, which is to reach, think about this, they reach down and grab the man, the hand of a man who does not walk and has not walked in decades. They grab his hand and say, rise up in the name of Jesus and start to pull. That's a little bit bold, don't y'all think? I mean, it's one thing we, we, we like to go, well, I, I, I pray for you. And may God bless you. And then we just kind of step back to see if something happens, you know? I mean, but to actually take the hand of a lame man and start to pull. That crazy church I went to in college, my pastor did that. My pastor decided he was going to pray for someone in a wheelchair. And he knelt down in front of this man and he began to pray for him and he wept over his legs and then he stood up and grabbed his hands. And I'm just telling tell you, I backed up. I was like, yep, I don't need to be too close to that. What if he doesn't get up, man? I don't, yeah, anyway. Listen, it's going to require some belief that the Holy Spirit is actually in you. And I promise we will be better witnesses for Jesus when we do. You know what else we have? We have faith. And that's what this world doesn't have. You see, we know God is real. We know God is on his throne. We know our God is good. We know our God still moves today. And when you can actually look at a coworker or a neighbor or a waitress that you see at lunch once a week, and say, you know what? I know God loves you, and I know God sees you, and I'm going to be praying for you every single day, and the next time I see you, I'm going to ask you what God has done about this in your life. First of all, the thought of someone that doesn't even know them, a Christian promising to take time and energy out of their day every day and to come back and to care about the results, wow, what we could give this world, everybody, come on. You know, what else Peter and John modeled for us is not only did they give what they had, but they gave what the man truly needed. Again, the man asked for alms, but alms weren't his greatest need. Alms just supported him in his need. And so you and I do have something to give that might be what they truly need. And we just need to ask the Holy Spirit what that is. You know, it may be ongoing prayer for God to move. Like I just talked about, you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you every day. and I'm going to come back and ask what God's done. Sometimes it might be to actually pray for a miracle in the moment, like Peter and John did. As they reached down and they took his hand, some of us might need to actually be willing to do that. And you say, oh, well, Jimmy, I don't really have faith for that because I haven't seen many miracles. And I'd say, you haven't seen many miracles because when was the last time you tried to lift up a lame man in the name of Jesus? You see, I think there's going to kind of be just a math game at some point. The number of miracles we're going to see has got to go with the number of miracles we're willing to be bold and ask for in the name of Jesus. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't be someone who never asked for a miracle for the glory of Jesus in front of a lost person and expect to see them. At some point, if we want one number to go up, the other number has to go up. Are you guys with me? Again, I'm trying to solve how we make sure we don't go back to a normal, boring life believing acts is just history. We have things that we can give and we can meet needs that might be true. Sometimes it might actually be money. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes it is. Because sometimes people are struggling so much that the biggest problem in their mind as they see the world is that they are strapped and stressed and broke. And they are asking God, if there is a God, to do something about it. And when one of God's people, a Christian, shows up, believe it or not, money can solve a problem. Maybe friendship, because this world is so full of lonely people. So full of lonely people. What if a Christian actually says, I'd love to do life with you? It might be an invitation might be an invitation to church. You know, sometimes that is their greatest need. They may say no to you because they don't know their greatest need, but it still might be their greatest need. It may be an invitation to a small group. We call them life groups here at Grace Life because of their need. They may every day come to you and say, can you pray for my marriage? Can you pray for my marriage? Yes, I'll pray for your marriage, but I have another idea. We have a life group at my church that changed my marriage. How about you come? I will go with you every week if you'll go. You get a a co-worker, let's say it's another dude. You're a dude, he's a dude, and and he's struggling. I don't know what to do with my wife. I don't know what to do with my kids. You say, well, we've got a life group. We've got some dudes that just hang out behind our building every week, and they set a fire on, I mean, they do. This actually happens right behind this building. They light a fire every week, and and a bunch of army guys, I think they just go, whoop, the whole time, but whatever. (laughs) They're becoming godly men together, I'll tell you that. And if you want to help someone with their truest need, put them around men who have the answers they're looking for you know one of the things that we can give this world that they truly need is an example of a better way you see you and i are the living moving breathing testimony that god's ways work they don't misunderstand you're not perfect and you never will be is that means not everything is going to work out right all the time in your life that's fine but as we continue to surrender our lives to God's way, as we continue to surrender our soul to to Jesus to come in to heal and to, to move in our lives, we become more like him. And as a result of that, our finances will be better more often than not. Our marriage will be better more often than not. And our souls will experience freedom from anxiety and fear more often than not. That's the goal of a Christian, as we become more and more like him. And the world looks at us and goes, why aren't you as broke as me? Why aren't you mad at your spouse as much as me? Why aren't you afraid of what tomorrow holds as much as me? You see, when we can have peace, and when we can show them that God's ways work, Well, the truth is sometimes that's the best thing that we could ever give this world. What we do have, we give. What we do have, we give. And we're not afraid to see and to respond. And as much as that sounds like a full and complete sermon, I don't think that that's the whole point. I think there's one other ingredient in this story and honestly all throughout the book of Acts that I think if we miss this one, it might explain a little bit of the powerlessness in our lives today. And that was that the name of Jesus was at the center of everything. The name of Jesus was at the center of everything. Every time they tried to do something, they said it's because of Jesus. They were always making Jesus famous. They were always giving Jesus credit. And they were very bold about being one of his, a Christian. Once that label was given... They said, fine, we'll identify with that if that's what you want to say. And I think the truth is, we are often afraid to be bold about the name of Jesus. We say things like, well, you know, the good Lord told me. Well, I was, you know, I was praying, you know, I was. But we're afraid to actually say, Jesus! In our world today, there's something about the name of Jesus. The truth is the name of Jesus has been hated for 2,000 years. The devil hates it. The world hates it. I had a friend of mine. It's a funny story. He's a, another pastor I usually have lunch with uh, once a month. And we get together and, and try to support and encourage one another. Well, I was on sabbatical this summer and uh, my pastor friend ended up almost going to heaven because he was diagnosed with cancer and it was not a good diagnosis. He was sick, they did some scans and his wife was the head of the radiology department. She was the first one to read the scan and go, oh no, we have a problem. And there was no fool in her so she told her husband oh no we have a problem and it's real the doctor was actually the last one to know so the doctor sees and confirms we have a problem the doctor didn't believe in God grumpy old man and my pastor friend is thinking why didn't I get somebody who loves God to help me in my treatment why did I get this grumpy old man that doesn't even believe in God well they go through the process for the summer And they go from appointment to appointment and biopsy to this to that and everything else and 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 it's all confirmed and they start a treatment plan and then one day he goes back to the doctor and it's all changed and the doctor says well i don't know what happened but you ain't have cancer no more now here's the here's the point i'm trying to make about what we see in the book of acts many of us would say well you know i've got a church praying for me Many of us would go, well, you know, God is good. We're in the Bible Belt. Those things are easy to say. You know what my friend did? He looked at this old doctor that doesn't believe in God and said, you don't know what happened? I know what happened. His name is Jesus, and you need to believe in him because he just showed himself real to you, and you're old, and you're going to die, and you're not going to heaven because you don't believe in Jesus. True story. And I think the fact that we hide the name of Jesus so much might be why we don't see something happen. Because I I just want you to contemplate this. This is not a theological statement. Don't you quote me on it. But if all we're going to do when we say, God, I need a miracle in my life. I need to live for a few more years on the earth. And God might be thinking. So that's all that's going to come out of it. You live a little longer. And maybe you'll say, "Ah, God's good. But over here, this person's praying for a miracle and they're gonna shout Jesus from the rooftops to every lost person they can find. Yeah, now I might show up. Now listen, there's no scripture outside of, there's a lot of scripture that God shows up with the name of Jesus. I I can't tell you, but I just in my own life kind of wonder if we made it more about Jesus than what I want, I wonder if we'd see more miracles. By the way, it's in the story. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people what did he see he saw this man who came running and so now he's talking to everybody in the temple he says men of israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk no 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 no. man this is not about us at all let me tell you what the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob and the god of our fathers and by the way let me just tell you how smart peter is because he's in a Jewish temple to people that don't believe in Jesus. So the first thing he's got to do is get them on the hook with their God. So he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, you know him as El Shaddai. You know him as Yahweh. Yeah, now that we're all on the same page, he glorified his servant, Jesus. He glorified his servant, Jesus. Jesus belongs to him. He glorified Jesus. And his name, by faith in his name, Jesus has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Don't miss the point. He was not in the Bible Belt. You say, well, he's just saying that in the temple. Yeah, he's saying that in a temple filled with Jewish people that had voted to crucify Jesus. He is standing up in front of a bunch of people who hate every word that he's saying. And he's saying, your God glorified his servant, Jesus. And by the way, you should go and read the rest of the story for sake of time. I didn't read it all. His next sentence is whom you killed. That's how you get a good sermon. Call everybody murderers and blame them for everything. But, but it's all about Jesus. We didn't do it. And our God did. You got to understand that Peter had every reason to believe this was going to be his last sermon. These people had nailed jesus to a cross and he's standing here saying he's alive i know you don't believe it yep we're a christian we're telling you the christ has come his name is jesus he is real we know you killed him probably about to kill me but this man is walking and he's walking not because of me he's woken because of jesus the name of jesus was hated then it still is today if we keep going to the end of the story after jesus, uh, peter told him they were all murderers let's get to the end it says as they were speaking to the people the priest and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them Uh, upon them you you know yeah greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people why because they were proclaiming in jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening look i'm not going to sugarcoat this if you start doing What you see in the book of Acts, if you start being bold and reaching out to take the hand of someone and lift them up and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and you start making Jesus famous, your life might get a little harder. You start praying in the name of Jesus at work, you could get in trouble. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but imagine the fun you'll have. Can you imagine how Peter and John felt in prison that night? Dude, did you see him walk? I mean, come on, man. I can imagine John going, what were you thinking grabbing his hand before he started moving his leg? What were you thinking? man? What if he didn't move, man? Well, you know, I mean, Jesus said, I mean, I don't, well, I know Jesus said, but we've never seen it happen. We've never done it. I mean, can you just imagine the fun they were having in prison? Like, I don't care, man. The man walked. You see, we want the stories. Are we willing to be bold? and pay the price for the name of Jesus. What if you started putting the name of Jesus in everything that you could? So instead of next time you give somebody something, say, God bless you. I mean, that's kind, but do you know non-believers say, God bless you sometimes? What if you actually give them something and say, Jesus told me to? What if when you pray for someone at work, instead of just saying, amen, what if you said in Jesus' mighty name? I had a friend of mine who tried to become a Muslim. The problem is he was actually raised by his grandmother. And so she taught him, whatever you pray, when you're done, you say in Jesus' name. So he would go to prayers with his Muslim brothers and they would bow down. And when they rose up, he'd say in Jesus' name. They told him he couldn't do that. And he said, then I can't pray with you. And he's a Christian to this day. Look, when you invite people to church, instead of just going, well, you know, I go to church. You could come to church with me on Christmas. Why don't you say, Jesus changed my life, and I think he could change yours too. And when you don't laugh at a work, it, I'm sorry, when you don't laugh at a bad joke at work, which is a good thing, you should you know, adopt that practice when someone's being crude and, and uh, whatever the story is, and you choose not to laugh, Instead of just saying, I didn't find it funny, why don't you look at them and say, I don't think Jesus would find that funny, and I follow Jesus. You see, I think if we start to get bold about the name of Jesus, we can change the world. So here's the real point. What we do have, we give boldly in the name of Jesus. Every miracle we see in the book of Acts came with the name of Jesus. It was about making Jesus famous, giving him credit as the Messiah, as the risen Savior. It's about Jesus. What might we do in this world? Well, let's finish the story. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple for decades, by the way, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them. Here's the fact, changed lives attract attention. Changed lives attract attention. And that kind of attention attracts lives that end up being changed. Don't you love that cycle when it gets spinning? And we're going to finish up with where that story kind of ended. It actually transitions to another part, but we'll preach that next week. And it says, but many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000 people. 5,000. Have you followed the story if you've been here throughout the series? The book of Acts began with Jesus leaving behind approximately 120 believers saying, go make my name famous, go be witnesses for me, about 120 people, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when that happened, they grew to over 3,000 people with one moment, one day, and one sermon from Peter, 3,000 people. Now we are only a few days or weeks from that, and they've given up counting people, and they're only counting heads of households. And based on what we know about Jewish culture, the estimate of 5,000 men is at least 20,000 people as a part of the church in Jerusalem because of the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out and the disciples declaring this happened in Jesus' name. 20,000 people in the church Jesus is building within weeks or maybe just days. You see, we can reach our world. If we give what we have boldly in the name of Jesus, let me pray for us. Oh, God, we thank you so much that you are still moving on the earth today. And there's a part of us that really wants to see that happen, but there's a part of us that wants to see it happen without any risk to our pride or any boldness or discomfort on our part. So, God, today we come before you and we confess that. And we say, God, would you? give us the boldness to stand up would you give us the boldness to speak the name of Jesus in this world would you give us the boldness to believe that you still do miracles and you still do it at the hands of your spirit in your people God we want to we want to reach the world for you pray that you would help us and empower us you just stay in a place of prayer I want to speak to those who have yet to make Jesus their king we've talked a lot about Jesus today We've sung songs about Him, and it is all about glorifying His name. Why? Because Jesus came to the earth, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, which He could do because He was God, but then was crucified. And so the death that He died, since He had no sins of His own, that death could pay the penalty for sin, yours and mine. It gives us forgiveness, makes us right with our God, and by that same power that raised Him from the dead, offers us eternal life. It's simply called the free gift of salvation. You can't earn it, but you can receive it. And if you've never received it, if you've never said, Jesus, would you be my king? I wanna help you do that right now. Wherever you are, would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven in my prayer here today. Would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?